It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, on behalf of the Detroit... Beats on the check. Hey, we want to present these buffs to our governor, hey. Big Gretch. Throw the buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Gretch. Woo. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw the buffs on her face, because that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Come on. Big Gretch and this bitch playing no roles. At Excuse all. all the cussing. That's just how I get my flow on. For real. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Gretch said stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. irrelevant. Big Gretch ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we going to take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Uh-oh. Big Gritz got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Gretch with the buffs on on the lookout. Uh, and she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on their pair of buffs with the ice in them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit mission. Throw the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Throw the buffs on her face, cause that's Big Gretch. We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Gretch. At all. You can find her in the press under Big Gretch. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Gretch. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. What's, what's the matter? All right, all right. Blanche, Blanche. I'm putting a ribbon in my hair. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I just thought I'd like to look nice this morning. Why? I knew you'd forget. You don't even know what day this is. I do, too. It's rent day. It is not. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary. Well, I knew it was a sad occasion of some kind. What kind of a remark is that? That's supposed to be funny. No, it isn't supposed to be funny, Blanche. I'm just groggy, that's all. I'm sorry. I knew you'd forget. I didn't forget it. So why didn't you say something? Blanche, I just opened my eyes. You forgot it. I tell you, I didn't forget it. But even if I did, you'd remind me of it. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Is that all? No plans? We've been married eight years. Don't you want to do something? 
No, it's too late to do anything. It's sad about you. How you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. Okay, okay. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. I'm serious. Okay, I'm sorry. You hack away at me in the morning and I'm so exhausted, I don't know what I'm saying. You wouldn't be so exhausted if you went to bed at a reasonable hour. I had to work overtime. Pour me some coffee. Get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30, why were you so long getting into bed? I know for a fact you didn't come to bed until almost 2. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You told me to bring stuff home for the party tonight. You invited a lot of your crumb friends and you told me to bring stuff, so I brought stuff. Did you bring the potatoes for the potato? salad. I brought potatoes. Did you pair them? I paired them. All of them? All except one. He had a big knob on top and I couldn't find a mate for him. I meant... I know what you meant, Blanche. I even boiled them last night. Where are my pants? Who stole my pants? Nobody stole your pants. I just looked in the wastebasket and they're not there. My shoes are missing from the sink. Don't be silly, John. Your pants are on a hanger in the closet and your shoes are in the shoe rack. How'd they get there? I put them there. Well, I wish you'd quit throwing my things around like that. (laughs) Gotta get them or I'll be late. You won't be late. Here are your pants. Thanks. Blanche, these aren't my pants. They're not? Then whose pants are they? That's a good question, only I should be asking. Don't be so snobby. They were baggy, so I pressed them. Baggy? Took me an hour to find the right crease. Be careful you don't wrinkle them now. What's the difference? I like my pants to look lived in. You're dragging the tops on the floor. Hold your trouser leg with your left hand, then step in with your right foot. Blanche, I've been putting on my own pants for over 40 years, and I don't need you to be the foreman of it. Hand me my Which one? It doesn't matter. I want to use it for a belt. My suspenders are broken. Why don't you wear your belt? I'm using it to keep the soles from falling off my shoes. John Fitterson, you know you're just... I know it. I know I haven't got a belt. Where's my shirt? Where did you hide my shirt? I didn't hide it anywhere. Well, where is it? I draped it around the canary's cage so he could sleep. Is my shirt the only rag you could find to cover the bird's cage with? Hasn't hurt anything, has it? No, but I don't like the way that bird pokes into my pockets. Every time I take a cigarette out, I'm smoking bird seed. Why do you have to cover the cage anyway? The canary is sensitive to light. Well, get him a pair of sunglasses. Leave my shirt alone. No bird's going to sleep later than I do. Ah, shut up. John, why must you be so mean on our anniversary? Blanche, I'm not mean. I'm worried. Business is bad. My job is hanging by a thread. You never should have quit your other job. You made me quit. You said it wasn't dignified selling bowling balls. You were embarrassed to answer when people asked you what your husband sold. Well, it sounded like it was trying to start a fight. That's no problem for you. I gotta go. Here, and don't forget your samples. I won't forget. This darn vacuum cleaner gets heavier every day. Straighten this hose around my neck, will you, Blanche? There, there. Now, got everything? I think so. No, wait a minute. You got any money? Well, there's 50 cents in the sugar bowl. 50 cents? You can bring me the change when you come home. Now listen, Blanche, something's got to be done about this. I can't go down to work like a pauper every day. A man's got to have a couple dollars in his pocket. Now don't yell at me. I don't mind going with torn clothes and holes in my socks, but I'm not going to suffer through those lunches anymore. What's the matter with your lunches? You ought to know. You pack them for me. I'm just getting sick of carrying my lunch to work in a paper 
sack. Why can't I go to the restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. John, that's the garbage. Goodbye, Blanche. Goodbye, dear. Happy anniversary. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my my guest this hour is a sports writer with a uh, a new book um, called The Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. His name is Jason Reed. He joins me by phone. Jason, welcome to the show, and good morning. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I was looking at my notes, and... It's and, and there's a note to talk about how this book seems long overdue, and and I thought of just opening with, well, it's about time. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but all but right. but all kidding aside, um, how how far back does does this story go, as you share this history going forward, and why so long to to identify it this way well it really goes back to the founding of the league i mean the league is uh, over 100 years old now and it really goes back to 1920 and 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 the history of this game and uh, fritz pollard who was the first black star in the nfl first eventually became the first black head coach and the first black quarterback he lined up at quarterback and but didn't it's not the quarterback position as we know it today with the glamour and the glitz but he was the first one and you know, I really wanted to take a look and to try to understand from the from Fritz Pollard to Patrick Mahomes and this current group of superstar black quarterbacks, how did we get here? I mean, black men in, in the NFL were black women in the NFL who wanted to play quarterback, most marginalized group in the, in the league's history. Black men were not allowed for most of NFL history to compete at the quarterback position. And now... The, so many of them are at the top of the game, the, the highest-paid players in the league. Uh, they have enormous influence. And as someone who enjoys reading about history, I, I really want to try to kind of nail down how did this happen. And uh, so that's what I tried to do in Rise of the Black Quarterback, what it means for America. Well, without getting into any spoiler alerts, Jason, um, how, how did it happen and how much did um – did the game affect black athletes and vice versa? How much did black yeah. athletes affect the game? Well, you know, how it happened was really one color all of a sudden Trump black. That was green. It happened because <laughs> after, you know, after years of, of, of NFL teams 
not believing that black men uh, possess the intelligence, the leadership skills, uh, the heart to play that position, what happened was when, when football, the NFL, began to eclipse Major League Baseball as the dominant sport in the country, and the money got so big, general managers and coaches, the pressure to win on them was enormous by owners because okay, owners wanted more people packing the stadiums and, and paying for concessions and parking, what have you. So there got to be a point where it simply was no longer feasible from a, from a financial standpoint for owners and executives and coaches to ignore people who could help them win games. So when the money got so big that you had to find as much talent as you could, yeah, that's when we see black quarterbacks becoming more prominent in the league. And and that that really does sort of explain that symbiotic relationship, how the game affected black athletes and how black athletes affected the game. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you talk about the 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 business of the NFL, and black players for for years were were forces at many other positions, just not quarterback, but. When you when you have a when you have a league that is expanding and growing and and becoming more popular, the black players who were popular already at the other positions, you know, they were doing their part, but there but there just weren't many black quarterbacks. So then, when all of a sudden the money gets so big and, and people and teams have to look at players at the quarterback position, black players as well, and then they start to succeed. Well, then it's a you know it's it's a copycat league. If if one team owner seems something is working he's going to do he, another team owner is going to follow him so that's how you started to see the proliferation of more african-american quarterbacks in the league was there a team or teams and and owners and or coaches that that got out ahead of this who were some of the people that that really started making big change well you know i point to joe gibbs the hall of fame legendary football coach of the uh, Washington football franchise of Washington. They were the Redskins, and, and now they're the Washington Commanders. But Joe Gibbs' decision to start Doug Williams. Can I admit uh, in, something in to you, Jason? Yes, absolutely. I, st- I still call them the Redskins. <laughs> A lot of people do. A lot of people do. I, g- I got to get used to the new name. I didn't. E- I didn't even realize what the name was until you said it. Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of people still do. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's an old habit. But but Joe Gibbs, the legendary coach of the team, he his decision to start Doug Williams against the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl, and and then to stick with Doug Williams. You know, Doug Williams had gotten uh, he had suffered an injury early during the game, and he came out. But then he well, actually he didn't come out. He suffered an injury, and he stayed in the game. And Joe Gibbs could have pulled him out of the game when he saw that he was, he was injured, but no, he left him in there. And then Doug Williams goes out and has this incredible performance. He lights up the Denver Broncos, and he, he becomes not only the first black quarterback to start in the Super Bowl, but also to win the game's MVP award. And Joe Gibbs making that decision, that was a monumental decision. That, that was one of those things that if we look at a timeline of the rise of the black quarterback, that decision played a, a huge role in getting us to where we are today because although Doug Williams' performance didn't lead to uh, uh, many, many black quarterbacks immediately uh, rising up in the league, 
what it did do is it planted a, a seed and, and, and something started to grow where team owners and executives and coaches had to acknowledge that, you know what, maybe these guys can do this. More with NFL journalist Jason Reed straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. 
Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More with NFL journalist Jason Reed straight ahead. Now that it's been determined that they can, how competitive is it for um, for black quarterbacks? Well, you know, gone are the days when when NFL teams in in the, in the draft room will just say, well, we're not going to take this quarterback because he's black. I mean, those days are gone. Now black quarterbacks, superstar black quarterbacks in college, are going to get drafted. They're going to come into the NFL. And then once they enter the NFL, it, it's all about competition. You have to prove yourself. The difference is in the past, black quarterbacks were not being drafted, and if they were drafted, they were being told to switch positions, and they weren't being given a chance to compete at the position that they – that they grew up playing and that they, that they wanted to play. Now it really is about the competition. If you're a black quarterback in college, and you know, especially if you're a star black quarterback in college, and you come into the NFL, you're going to get your chance to compete. Now, you know, it's like anything else. It's not just about one player in football. It takes a football team. So you, 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 you want to go to a situation where you're going to get a chance to compete with good people around you. But the bottom line is black quarterbacks now will get a chance to compete. How much does size play a role in uh, the position of quarterback? Well, you know, at one point, you know, there was a time in NFL history where it was mostly about size. You know, the, the prototypical 6'3", 220-pound pocket-passing quarterback, you know, those days, are, those days are gone. Now you can see people of all sizes, not all sizes, but you can see quarterbacks who are not 6'3", not even six foot, and aren't people who always stay in the pocket. And you can see them and you can watch them excel at this game because of the evolution. Well, yeah, because, you know, I'm thinking back as I was growing up, you know, the, the black football players that I knew were, you know, guys like Bubba Smith and Refrigerator Perry. They were just mountains. And and, yeah. and and now it seems like um, you still have big guys for certain positions, but the quarterbacks seem to be getting a little smaller and maybe a little quicker. Yeah, the game has definitely evolved, and offenses, offenses have definitely evolved to the point where people are more, coaches are more willing to try things to win. And, you know, that goes to, to the whole thing about, well, are you stuck in these old, antiquated views about things have to be done in one way, or are you willing to adapt and see a, a, and, and actually find new ways of doing things? And more and more coaches in the NFL are willing to try to find new ways of doing things with players who aren't the same size as they used to be because the pressure to win is so great. So if you can find a, a way to build a better mousetrap and succeed doing that, you're going to do it. What about, and, and I'm not even sure how to set this up properly, Jason, and maybe you can help me out with it, but, you know, it, it made such big news when 
Colin Kaepernick took a knee. Yeah, absolutely. The NFL had never seen anything like that. Never before had a quarterback. Quarterbacks were the most celebrated players in the game, the, the, the highest paid, the ones with the most off-field endorsements. Never in the history of the NFL had a quarterback done something like that, had taken a stand on social, social justice issues. Social justice issues. I, I try to say that fast ten times. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, right. You know, so so the league had never had never experienced anything like this. And then the quarterback who did it happens to be African American. He's a black quarterback, and so that brings in a whole other layer of okay. Well, he, Colin Kaepernick now is forcing the NFL to acknowledge that systemic racism and police brutality are issues that the NFL should deal with because many of the NFL's players come from communities where they have to deal with these issues. And the NFL did not want to deal with it. The NFL didn't know how to deal with it. This was really one of those things, these monumental moments where the league was just like, okay, what do we do here? Um, And as as a result of what Colin Kaepernick did, he took a knee during during the playing of the national anthem. He initially sat on the bench, but then... Uh, after consulting with Nate Boyer or Green Beret, he, he, Nate Boyer explained to him that it would be more respectful to take a knee because that's what people in the military do. Uh, you know, when when they're when they're honoring a fallen comrade or when they're when they're talking about something that's important. So Ka- Kaepernick switched his form of protest to taking a knee. Now, there are many people who will tell you that Kaepernick should not have done that. That that type of thing has no business in sports, but for for the many of the black men who were NFL players, Kaepernick, Kaepernick, Kaepernick ignited a movement. They that that these players felt that the league that they play for, that they that the, these team owners who they helped to you know make millions of dollars for billions of dollars actually, that they should want to help them in their communities, that they should want to acknowledge that these things are going on. And the thing about Kaepernick also is that. The opinions about him and what he did, they largely fall, according to polling, along racial lines. Generally speaking, many black people supported what he did. Generally speaking, many white people did not support what he did. You know, and no matter where you come down on what Kaepernick did and his form of protest, there's no denying that he had a huge impact on the NFL. Oh, absolutely, and and I think it's um, I think it's interesting and important that you pointed out. Nobody really knew what to do with it. And along racial lines, of course, black people understood what he was trying to say. But a lot of white people were like, why are we doing this in football? <laughs> you know, football's where we go yeah. to get away from all this kind of stuff. And yeah, escapism. Yeah, and, and I think people were really confused. You said they didn't, you know, the NFL didn't know what to do with it. I think you're absolutely right. I, I think people were really puzzled and perplexed when uh, Muhammad Ali was a conscientious objector during the Vietnam War. And yet he's a professional yeah, and, and, boxer. And, <laughs> you right. know? Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, look at how Ali... Um, was judged later in his life. I mean, he's revered as as a as an icon who stood up for for what was right and stood up for you know the the, the ability to protest. I mean, the the view of Ali from the 1960s 
to when he uh, eventually wound up passing away, it changed greatly. I mean, he was revered at the time of his death. He wasn't so much by a lot of people when he, when, in the 1960s when he took these, these stances. And, you know, maybe history will treat Colin Kaepernick the same way. I, well, I think, I, I think Colin yeah. has to do the same thing Muhammad Ali did, and that's fight his way back. Well, that's going to be difficult because Ali, as, as a prize fighter, like he he could just he could just get back if someone was willing to you know give him a fight and a lot of, and people were willing to do that because they wanted to make money. The difference is with Ka- Kaepernick is part of a, was part of a team sport. If no one will sign him, he just can't. He, he I I don't believe he has resources uh, to just you know but that create gets, his own team or his own league. But that gets back to what you said about about the owners, um, you know, being moved by the green. And if there's green in well, it, yeah. then, you know, somebody's going to pick him up and play him. Well, if they the don't is, wait so too I, long. I, right. No, I hear what you're saying. The, the, the issue for Kaepernick, though, is that there are many there are many other quarterbacks that the league can play in, instead of, like, signing him. Um, now, if Kaepernick, let's say, was as talented as Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, yes, some team would sign him. Unfortunately, he's not quite to that level. So because he's not quite to that level, teams are more willing to ignore him and just sign somebody else. But if he, again, though, if, if Patrick Mahone, excuse me, if Colin Kaepernick was at the, the, the level where he's one of, he was one of the top one, two, or three quarterbacks in the league, yeah, I believe he would have gotten another chance. But he wasn't at that level, and so the league has turned its back on him. Made a stand a little too soon, maybe. But you have to. Um, well, but but you have to speak when something needs to be said. So, you know, forgive me. That was kind of a stupid thing to say. No, no, I no, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, look, no matter where you come down on what he did and what he was trying to accomplish, it's undeniable that the man stood on principle and was willing to risk his career. For the principle on which he was standing, and I, you know, I don't know how many among us would do that, be willing to walk away from a career you love and something, quite frankly, that he was very good at. But he believed in something. He believed in something that he thought was more important than playing football if it came to it. And again, no matter where you stand on his former protest. I, I respect the fact that he was willing, that he believed in something so much that he was willing to possibly end his career as an NFL quarterback. Has that changed the game? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, what, what Kaepernick did forced the NFL, forced NFL team owners and the commissioner and, and the people who work in the commissioner's office to reevaluate their positions about what they were willing to engage in. You know, after Kaepernick did that, the league started funding social justice, social justice issues. The league hadn't done that before. And then a few years after that, or several, you know, three or four years after that, then a group of young players put out a video demanding that the NFL and team owners join them in doing even more after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis at the hands of police. And all of a sudden, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell is, is actually on a video saying Black Lives Matter. That was highly controversial. The Black Lives Matter movement for many in the country represented something that was, that was just wrong. I mean, it was, it, just, it, was, it was an affirmation that, yes, black lives matter, you know, black lives also matter, but 
the NFL didn't want to deal with that because many of the NFL's fans, you know, felt that, well, no, this is stuff that, you know, shouldn't be involved in football and shouldn't be involved on my Sundays and my Mondays and my Thursdays watching these games. And the, the league took a lot of heat from, from, generally speaking, again, based on polling, white NFL fans who were furious that Roger Goodell would say something like that. But Roger Goodell doesn't get moved to that place if Colin Kaepernick doesn't take a knee or first sit down and then take a knee and inspire other NFL players to do the same. And that, and, and it's, again, that's that, that evolution that institutions have to take, uh, that have, they have to go through like the NFL is going through now. Yeah, I, I think you know we talk about we talk about anything in, in this country in terms of things improving for I would say the better. Some people would argue it's not for the better. So uh, maybe a, maybe another way to put it is things changing where more people have opportunities. It's a slow process. It, it, it's a it's a process that's also very hard sometimes. That you know you look at things like the civil rights movement. And I, I think m- most people would agree that anyone being denied an opportunity based on the color of their skin or their, or their sexual orientation or their gender, that that's just wrong, that, that people should be judged on, on, on their abilities, that, they, that we should all be given a chance to compete and you know, let the smartest and the best among us rise to the top. So it, it, it's a very hard thing when for, for such a long period of time things were all one way and and the people who benefited the most from that came to expect that and came to enjoy it as as one would think they would enjoy it but change and and, and progress and people be, occupying spaces where they weren't allowed to occupy before that takes time and that can be hard and what Kaepernick did and what he inspired and then what other NFL players did after him yeah, that was that led to some very hard moments. But I would but I would submit that a lot of those moments have helped the league to improve in areas. I I think so too, and I'm I'm curious what you think we'll we'll see going forward. What kinds of changes we'll see? Are, are we going to see? Um, I, I I don't want to say political rallies, but are we going to see entertainers presenting? you know, political commentary as part of their halftime shows? Well, you know, uh, we, we, have, we have seen some of We have seen that, actually. Uh, even the last Super Bowl, I believe uh, Eminem, if, if memory serves, uh, ma- made a gesture uh, reflective of, of, of the protest movement um, in kind of like an homage to Kaepernick. Um, you know, and I, I, I think we're going to see things like that moving forward as well because the reality of it is, you know, there are people who feel that, that, this, that as great as this nation is, that there are still things that can be better. And, you know, people, people want to bring attention to things that they think are wrong. And so I still think moving forward in the NFL um, with the social justice uh, campaign that we've seen, how players have been active in that. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see players and entertainers continue to do that thing moving forward. 
Yeah, I think uh, Barack Obama put it well when he said, well, you know, the whole thing's a work in progress. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It is a work in progress. Um, and, 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 yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead and finish your thought. Well, I, well, you know, I, I think about that often. I mean, um, you know, I, I have, I'm a father of two children, and, you know, I think about conversations I had with my father and my mother when I was a young man, and I think about conversations I have with them now and the world that they're going to go into. And, you know, things, you can't stop change. You can't stop time. You know, no, no human being has been able to do that so far. You can't, you can't stop that. So, you know, as we, as we move forward in this century, and, and, I, you know, and I'm, I don't think I'm getting too far afield here because the book is, is The Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America, and I'm talking about America here. As we, as we move forward, representation matters. For, for, for young black children, you know, to see these black quarterbacks thriving, representation matters. I remember I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's Asian-American, and we were talking about Jeremy Lin, the, the, the uh, Asian-American basketball player who uh, had a great run with the New York Knicks a while back. And, you know, what he told me was for him seeing Jeremy Lin do what he did as a young Asian man, it inspired him. It, 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 it gave him a feeling that, hey, you know, I mean, the sky's the limit. You, you, you can do these things because he had not seen people who looked like him on the basketball court in the NBA do the things that Jeremy Lin did. So, you know, as we talk about this rise of the black quarterback and what it means for America, it's really about what happens when groups that have been marginalized that have not had the opportunity to compete, not to be handed anything, but to compete, what happens when they finally get those opportunities and they excel? What does that do for the country? And, and I think, well, for me, that is the definition of progress. My guest is Jason Reed. He is a sports writer and author of The Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. Jason, which came first for you, football or writing? Wow, you know, I, um, <laughs> I, 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 but I, it's funny you say that. I joined my school newspaper when I was in high school, and um, you know, I, I, I love sports, but I, I, I really I loved writing as well, and my passion for writing continued as I got to college, and I wasn't good enough to play sports in college. I mean, many people aren't, but I definitely wasn't. And um, it just continued after college. It was, it, was, it was something I wanted to do for a career, and I have been incredibly blessed to have worked for some of the best news organizations in this country, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, and now ESPN. Um, so in a very long-winded answer to your question, writing came first, and I'm still hanging with the writing. <laughs> and then and then what turns you I, I've seen you identified as um, as NFL journalist Jason Reed uh, how did how did specializing in football come about well you know, it is it's, it's interesting I I never necessarily wanted to cover the NFL um, I started out as a, as a high school sports writer, which is a typical kind of road that a lot of sports writers take. You start out covering high school. Um, I got a big break at the L.A. Times when I was a, a younger reporter, and I was put on the Los Angeles Dodgers beat there. And then um, uh, one of my former editors, a, a mentor of mine, uh, became the sports editor at the Washington Post, and 
he kept trying to get me to come to Washington and cover the Washington uh, Commanders, and um, he offered me a he offered me a job, and he said, "Look, if you don't take this job, I'm not going to offer you another one." And I, I, my, my son was, uh, was a newborn, and I, I, I thought to myself, from a family life standpoint, covering the NFL would be better than bouncing around the country covering the NBA and the, uh, or Major League Baseball. And so I went to Washington, and I covered the, the team there as a the beat writer, and then I became a columnist. So, um, and, and then I left to go to ESPN. And by the time I left to go to ESPN, it was clear to me the NFL was what I, what I wanted to cover for the rest of my career, and I hope I'll have a chance to do that. Well, and that begs the question, what's next for Jason? Well, you know, my, my day job, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a senior writer at, ES, at ESPN and Anscape covering the NFL, and um, you know, I'm going to be promoting the book for a while, hopefully, and you know, I hope people will, will like it. And um, what's next for Jason is that eventually Jason will get back to writing uh, daily stories and long-form stories uh, for uh, Anscape.com and ESPN.com. Uh, but for now, what's next for Jason is uh, a lot more conversations with some very smart people like yourself who are interested who are interested in the book, and I'm looking forward to doing that. You see another book in your future? You know, um, I, I would definitely like to write more books. Um, if people go out and go to uh, Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and Target.com and buy The Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America, maybe I'll get a chance to do another one. <laughs> it's all about that green right there you go hey jason i really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your time with me and the listeners this morning and i always give guests an opportunity to let them know that let the listeners know where they might find out more about you and your work past present and future do you have a website you'd like to share yeah definitely uh, anscape dot com you'll find i have a page uh on landscape.com where all my work is is uh is cataloged and you can click on all my past stories you can also find me on espn.com and you can find me at on twitter at eight at, excuse me on twitter at at j reed espn well jason thanks uh thanks so much and keep up the good work oh thank you for the kind words and thank you for having me take care you too and with that, um, well, I'll just uh, remind you that was uh, NFL journalist Jason Reed, author of The Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Baby. 
Tom Sumner Program.com. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner Program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacle that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I played football for Temple University, and it's the truth, see? Don't keep asking me, did you really play? Yes, I really played. At one time, I had a beautiful body. I weighed, uh, I weighed 192 pounds, and they made me a fullback. Now, before you start tuning up, let me get my story finished. <laughs> no, the truth of the matter is that uh, it didn't take much to play for t- Temple at the time that I was playing because we had lost 27 games in a row. And uh, we played against real weak teams. I mean, teams like uh, Muhlenberg, Lafayette, um, what's it, Gettysburg, yeah. Get- they all beat us. They all killed us, especially Hofstra. Hofstra beat us 900 to nothing. <laughs> In the street clothes, man. They wiped us out. You know? Vassar wouldn't even play us. That's how bad we were, man. Get out of here. We don't even want you on our schedule. So I'm going to give you some insight as to what goes on in a loser's locker room. We're going to play against Hofstra, which is a really terrible school. They killed us every year, boy. And when you play for a team like Temple, you got nothing to do except pace up and down in the locker room. And you say to yourself, boy, I sure do hope I don't get hurt. <laughs> I almost made a tackle last week. I must have been crazy out there. Something. Nobody else is trying out there. I don't know why I got to be the one all the time. I play on the second team, which is actually the nut squad. Now, these are guys that can play, but they're afraid. They don't want to go out there, so they do nutty things, like they put the helmet on sideways, looking out through the ear hole. <laughs> guys got on scuba diving suits, snowshoe and an ice skate, you know, walking around. <laughs> Second team is very quiet because they're going to go out, scared to death. That's what they are. Catholics on the squad always seem to have something special going because they're over in the corner. Dominoes, Father, please. I'm not Catholic, but I figure if it works for him, yeah, me too, Father. He's a friend of mine. He told me how to do this. Here, please accept me. Pacing up and down. First team's getting last rights. And we're wondering. The coach is drawing trick plays on the blackboard because he has no personnel whatsoever and he knows he's got to work with something that'll trick him, you know. All right, you guys, listen up. Uh, when they come out of the huddle, line up backwards. <laughs> and just let them run right over you and then we'll raise the flag and everything while you're singing the national anthem, all right? We'll get pity somewhere, I'll tell you that. Then comes the athletic director. He says, I'd like to talk to the boys. What? I'd like to talk to the boys. Okay. May I have your attention, please, fellas? This is uh, the athletic director, Mr. Ernie Cassell. It's the man that's responsible for giving most of you the scholarships. <laughs> He'd like to talk to you, Mr. Cassell. Thank you very much, Coach Macris. Well, boys, here we are again. We're going out and have another fine football game. Gonna go out and play against Hofstra, because you already know that. You know, they beat us last year 900 to nothing. The year before that, they beat us 900 to nothing. I was over in their locker room, had a chance to look at some of their players, and Christ, they're bigger than they were last year. (laughs) 
Yes, yes, I know, I know. Fellas, I looked out in the stands, we only have 12 people out there. And this is homecoming. Just want to say a few words to you. This is our first game on television. We want to keep this television contract going because this is the only way we can make some money to buy a little scuba diving suits and uh, snowshoes and ice skates for all the weird old squads here. So we're going to say to you, please, remember that you're on TV. By that I mean, don't worry about winning the game as much as we want you to be concerned with the fact that while you're out there on the field, we're going to ask you, please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on a football field. Because if you're out there digging and scratching, people at home are going to turn you right off, and we're going to lose the contract. So please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on the field. Now, we're going to pass out these affidavits and ask you to sign them, saying that you will not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on a football field, all right? So we signed them and we went out, you know, and I'm with the second team. And <laughs> First team's got the ninth time for last ride. Hofstra came out of the locker room. I had never seen guys so big before in my life. They had just brought 11 guys with them. Smallest guy on the squad was 6'1", 490 pounds. It was a halfback. Ran 109-1, had long teeth hanging out of his mouth. Every one of them just had one eye in the center of the forehead. The coach was beating them out onto the field with a ball and chain, hitting them smack in the back of the head. Get out of here! Go on, Igor! What's good, Igor? First team said, oh God, don't look at him. If you don't look at him, you won't get scared. Second team went crazy. Oh, look, 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 look. Guys are ripping their clothes off. I can't play naked. Oh. Kicker comes up, grabs the ball. It looks like a vitamin pill in his hand. Puts it down. Out of the world. They come running down the field. First team said, throw some meat at him. Maybe they'll eat that. Get out of here. guy is still standing. Oh. Heaven Tippleman, out cold on the ground. Coach, all right, get the nut squad, naked or not, get out there. <laughs> we're carrying them off, and as we're carrying them off, I swear I heard one Temple guy on the ground say, can we get up now? No, you move, I'll punch you right in the mouth. So help me, get out of here. We carry them off, Coach, all right, get out there, second team, let's go. <laughs> we got a quarterback that's 2-1. All right, run the kamikaze play on one. All right, kamikaze. Cosby up the middle, the whole team off the field. Break! We break out of huddle, the quarterback goes up to shift. One, two, ping, gives me the ball. I take one step and I look and there's a hole. And I had never seen a hole. Playing for Temple. And I said, God, a hole. I turned to the people in the stands. Look at this, a hole! Did you see this? I said, wait a minute, it may be a mirage. <laughs> you can't tell. I said, well, I better get moving. I'll never forget it. It was a big hole with a defensive man on the ground. I planted one foot, stepped over him. When I did, he stood up and hit me. <laughs> and the pain was tremendous. And I threw down the ball and I said, oh. I've been hit in the... You'd better not touch. 
And here it is, everybody, while you're on the football here. So I grabbed my head. I said, what's the matter? I said, I can't take nothing until they bring a commercial on, all right? Thank you and good night. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Black convertible with a white 
top down What little rubble running all Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.